0: You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdTonowmedia.com.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris Tetralt-Blay.
0: welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle.
1: So, welcome to another very special episode of Once Upon the Turnbuckle. And I must admit, the boyhood wrestling fan in me is buzzing at the minute to be talking to this this next guest. I'm so grateful for him coming on. Uh, welcome to the show, Mike. Duke the Dumpster Drosy. Thank you for
0: having me. I appreciate it.
1: No worries. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing just fine. It's been a, another very busy week. It's winding <laughs> down. Sunday will be my day of rest <laughs> uh, finally after a very long week of working and doing wrestling related stuff and podcasts cool. and interviews and sending out merchandise boxes today i got like 20 i did today and wow. it's, which i'm very grateful for but yes it's been a very busy week, and i'm uh happy but i'm ready for a day of rest
1: okay yeah i think we all are at this stage of the week so uh but um I think all, all the listeners obviously will know who you are. They'll, know, they'll recognize you certainly from the, uh, from the mid-90s, from the new generation period and the uh, WWF, as have I. But um, just to kick off, so take, rewind back from there. Where, where and how did you discover wrestling yourself and get into it, decide it was something you wanted to do?
0: I discovered wrestling in Florida. I grew up in Miami, Florida, Uh, I was a transplant from California. I was born there, but uh, we moved to Florida early on. I was about four. My dad was uh, in the military. Anyway, I was watching championship wrestling from Florida from the late 70s into the early 80s and and beyond with Gordon Soley and Dusty Rhodes and Kevin Sullivan and Blackjack Mulligan. So that's where I grew up watching as a fan. Um, And then I just remember... The year they had the first WrestleMania uh, and they started hyping it because before that point, we didn't see much of Vince McMahon's TV in Florida, because this was right before he took over the the country and then the world. (laughs) Um, But I just remember they were hyping the WrestleMania, the first WrestleMania, and my dad took me to see it in a in an arena in Miami, the Miami Beach Convention Center, where they played it on a big screen TV on closed circuit television okay. day before any pay-per-view you could get any pay-per-views in your house. Yeah. yeah. You had to go to a public place and watch it on closed circuit television. And uh, I just remember watching that event when it was just so different uh, and, and all the hype behind everything and every match meant something pretty yeah. much. And uh, especially the hype be- behind the Hulk Hogan, Mr. T and uh, Roddy Piper, Orndorff tag match with Cyndi Lauper and everything, and there was this yeah. huge crossover to, to uh, you know, pop culture. And just that, the energy behind that is what made me want to become a professional wrestler. As a matter of fact, it was during the WrestleMania 1 closed circuit uh, telecast. I actually stood up and turned and looked at my dad and said, I'm going to be a professional wrestler. And uh, from that point on is when I started pursuing it, yeah. and I was still in high school.
1: What, what, was, what was your parents' reactions to that? Were they all for it, or did they kind of think, oh, it's just a bit of a bit of a phase, a bit of a pipe dream?
0: No, they always supported everything I did, especially my dad. He, uh, he always pushed me to really work hard uh, and, and, and chase my dreams. And uh, he loved the fact that I wanted to be a professional wrestler because he encouraged it. In fact, he's a large part of the reason that I actually got started First, because he took me to see WrestleMania one, and then second, um, when I was a wrestler in high school on the wrestling team, we had the championship wrestling from Florida wrestlers come and do a show in our gym as a fundraiser oh, for wow. the wrestling team. Cool. We got to work security, walking them to the ring, like Lex Luger, Barry Windham, you know, Dusty Rhodes, and um, I was too scared to go in the locker room and talk to the wrestlers and ask about learning ask about a school my dad went in there and started talking bugging them and found out where there was a wrestling school in miami for me to start training at which is what he did and i went and started training shortly thereafter um with a guy named bobby wales down in opalock florida right outside of miami so yeah, my dad was very instrumental in pushing me because he knew that's what I wanted to do. But he also he also knew I was a chicken shit and I wouldn't <laughs> ask for help. So he took it upon himself to make it happen.
1: And why not? Why not? I remember I, it was always a, a bit of a uh, a bit of a dream of mine. But there's over here in the UK, there's very little, or well, was back then you know, a very little avenue to kind of pursue, especially where where I was uh, where I was living. So I was always kind of watching the guys on screen, very envious. But uh, you know. This is yes. uh, this is this is cool being able to talk to you about this and getting an idea of how, sort of how it all starts and how it all begins. So from from when you then started training, so sort of how long were you in training before you you started sort of not only your debut but then started wrestling not regularly?
0: Well, you know, honestly, it only took me about six months, oh, six okay. months of training, and I had my first match because um, I was in really good shape from high school wrestling. I was still in really good shape. I came right out of high school wrestling. So it was just a matter of learning how to do the moves and take bumps and learn how to do, you know, learn how to wrestle in the ring and do that style. And uh, I picked it up really fast. And uh, my first match, I wrestled for the AWA. Actually, they came to Florida and it was the AWA right after Vern Gagne sold it. Right. And um the Savoldis were running it. It was ICW, AWA, and they still had a lot of the stars from AWA. They had Larry Zabisco, they had Nick Bachwinkle, they had Boris Zukov, they had Sheikh Adnan Al Casey, uh, and many others, of the, many of those guys. And they came to Florida and did a few shows and did some TVs. And I know it's, it's lost somewhere. I, I <laughs> wish I could find it. I was a skinny 18 year old kid and I wrestled as, I think I was Mean Mike Casey. Okay. It's either Mean Mike Casey or I was the surfer boy, Harry Race. I'm pretty sure I was Mean Mike Casey. And I wrestled and I did one TV show for them. And I just remember because I hit the guy in the balls and Mario <laughs> Savoli screamed at me for doing that on TV. Um, but that was on ICWAWA television. And I sure. wish I could find it, but that was my second match. The wow. TV match was my second. The first was the night before at the Davy Rodeo Arena and, um, you know i just remember nick Bachwinkle yelling at me because i was talking to the guy i was going to wrestle outside behind the locker room where the fans could see us uh-huh. was not respecting K at all
1: no and, big, uh, this big still when, then. yeah yeah. and
0: it was still K was still the deal and uh yeah. so he was kind of nice about it but he was kind of yelling at us about it <laughs> at the same time it was really interesting but uh i felt like an idiot uh so i learned a, a harsh lesson but yeah that, it was six months, and I went and wow. wrestled.: Yeah
1: impressive. impressive. When did you, uh, where and when did the, the like the Garbage man gimmick come back? Because I know you had that before you got to WWF.
0: So. Yeah, I was, I was going to college at the University of Miami, and I was wrestling here and there part- time, uh, and I was in a fraternity at college. And then the fraternity brothers, my friends, would come up with all these goofy names for me. And they came up with the name Rocco Gibraltar, uh, one of my fraternity brothers. And I liked that name. And I knew I always wanted to use it at some point. Mm -hmm. So one day when I was getting close to finishing college, I was almost finished with my bachelor's degree. And I was just kind of sitting at home thinking, what could I do with the name Rocco Gibraltar that would have a character that Vince McMahon would be interested in?
1: Okay.
0: And um, I came up with the G man Rocco Gibraltar and I decided it was going to be the garbage man, the garbage man, Rocco Gibraltar. And from that point forward for about the next year, a year and a half, I wrestled in Florida. Um, As the garbage man Rocco Gibraltar and I taped everything I did and stored all the matches and saved everything I did in in with the expectation of putting together a promo package and a a, you know and a tape to uh, either send up to Vince Mm -hmm. or I was going to drive around the country and give them to every promoter I could because there were still a few territories left in those days. And that was the plan but um, that's how the garbage man came about.
1: Cool. So you had Vince McMahon in mind when you came up with that. That's quite cool to know. Yeah,
0: that. because you knew he was doing. He had the he he had the cartoonish characters, and he yeah. really he always had one or two blue collar kind of gimmick that yeah. that, that people got behind. You know yeah. that the people could the common people could get behind. Yeah, you know, like a hacksaw Jim Duggan or a hillbilly Jim or a Dusty Rhodes when yeah. he was there, the common man. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I was aiming for. And cool. uh, that's, that's the way he saw it. And that's the way he brought me
1: in. Cool. So it brings us quite nicely then onto the, uh, the, the, the bit that I really, you know, wanted to talk to you about, obviously, because this is where I, as a sort of 10, 11 year old, um, around about the time I, it wasn't until then that I got, you know, satellite TV over here. So I, I was a bit out of the loop, but that around 94, 95 was when I started watching WWF on a regular basis. So I would see, Guys like yourself, you know, on the on the TV a lot. Um, so just just kind of, how then did the the gig with WWF come about? Was it just as simple as did you? Was it out of you sending the stuff on, or was there somebody else involved, sort of getting you in there, or um, you know how?
0: I didn't know anybody really. I, I kind of knew Luna Vashon; she was there at the time. But no, okay. um, I've told this story uh, before, but I was working part-time uh, at night as a night watchman at a beach club a private beach club where people that own homes on this island were, they they could come out there during the day in a private place and lay in the sun and uh, they had me watching it overnight because people were coming and breaking into the kitchen and stealing stuff so i had a job i had a nice part-time job while, while i was finishing college anyway <laughs> As I was getting ready to graduate and I had my promo packages ready and I was getting prepared to just pack up my car and drive all over the country. I was sitting at that job, which I had already given my notice. I was getting ready to leave. and I was reading the paper and there was an article in the Miami Herald about the steroid scandal mm-hmm. and about how Hulk Hogan had just jumped to WCW mm-hmm. and talking about the steroid scandal with Hulk Hogan. And then the last sentence in the article said, Vince, they were at a convention at the Miami Beach Convention Center, the same place I watched WrestleMania one, a place it was it was called the Nat P convention for TV executives where it would go to sell shows and TV time.
1: Yeah.
0: Anyway, the last sentence was Vince McMahon, who was also in attendance, had no comment. And I realized Vince McMahon's in Miami, Florida right now. Wow. And literally the next day I was walking in. And what I had done was a member of this private beach club was a TV executive. So he gave me his credentials to wear around my neck. And I wore a suit. (laughs) And I just walked right in. And I walked right up to Vince McMahon. And I told him who I was. And I told him I wanted a job. And we talked for about 30 or 40 seconds. And uh, he asked me a couple questions. And then I got out of there and they, wow. he had jj Dillon call me about a week later to come wow. up for a trial
1: there you go so you got to appreciate guts when you know you're you're enough to just walk up to someone like vince mcmahon and say. you
0: know the funny thing is it wasn't guts i didn't even give myself time to get scared it was <laughs> literally overnight i just remember i said i need to get in there and i called one of my friends and uh, one of the local wrestlers and he gave me this guy willie gonzalez he gave me a really good piece of advice he said if you see vince mcmahon by himself you better jump on him because wow. he won't be alone for long hmm. and sure enough i walked in there right when it opened at 10 a.m mm-hmm. and there was this big group of tv guys like pat patterson and all yeah. the agents and the kevin Dunn's. they were all in a big group right mm-hmm. and vince mcmahon was over here by himself drinking a cup of coffee and mm-hmm. i walked right to him Brilliant. and i didn't give myself time to get scared I or talk it. myself out of it. I just that did is. it. And there then afterwards, I freaked out a little bit. Our <laughs> ride home, I couldn't believe what I had just done, but I just did it.
1: And, uh, just, and it paid it. off, and it paid yeah. off. So the first sort of big angle that you were involved in was with Jerry the King Lawler. Um, was there any, did you have any interaction with, with Jerry Lawler before that? Like, did you know him from anywhere else? Or whose idea was it to start you off with him?
0: It was the office's idea, probably Vince's. Um, I did not know Jerry before that. We literally spoke the first time right before. uh, Actually, the very first spot we did was on my debut. I debuted on Superstars versus a guy named Mike Bell. And I came out and Jerry Lawler was standing there like he wanted to interview me. And the, the joke was he put a clothespin on his nose to say that I stunk. And then I took my garbage can and dumped trash on top of his Uh, head. i
1: remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and that set up the deal for Monday Night Raw, the live King's Court. Mm -hmm. And it was before the King's Court was the first time I spoke to Jerry about any of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were talking about the King's Court. And he was supposed to not let me in the ring and not let me talk very much. And I was going to get fed up and just leave. Mm -hmm. And he would jump me from behind, right? That was the deal. Yeah. Well, he asked me if I thought it would be good if he hit me and jumped me from behind, but then grabbed the garbage can and hit me with it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> I knew that was going to be some good heat. Yeah. And uh, we asked the agent in charge of that segment was, I believe, Jack Lanza. And we asked him, and he said, screw it. It's live TV. Just do it. <laughs> So I'm the brand new guy and I'm taking this advice and I go out there and we do it. And if you watch it, uh, the tape of it, uh, when it was on live TV, Jerry Lawler comes running behind me and hits me and I turn around like this and I turn to him and he picks up the can and goes, wham. And as soon as he hits me in the head, the camera shoots to a far angle. (laughs) It wouldn't show it up close anymore because They freaked out about it. Kevin Dunn in the truck freaked out. So we did the deal. He beat me up. Uh, I think they showed it later in a freeze frame. They wouldn't show the actual uh, thing. And then then, uh, we got in the back and Shane McMahon ran up to me. He's like, what the hell happened? I said, "Uh, they wanted to do the deal with the can. I thought it was a good idea. And uh, I don't know. And um, they they were not happy. They said it was too violent. So then they made Gorilla Monsoon and... Macho man who were doing the commentary for Raw at that time come on live TV and apologize <laughs> for what everybody had just seen. And they said, You'll never see that again on this TV. And so immediately a big bucket of ice water is poured on the heat of the angle. And uh then the next week they had Jerry Lawler do a, a pre taped thing on Superstars where he apologized and it was like a big joke and stupid mm-hmm. and he's you know he didn't want to apologize but they made him apologize and i was just I, I didn't know much at the time but i knew enough to know that was not good for what we were trying to do and no. we ended up not even getting a pay-per-view match out of it
1: i was going to say cuz it was it looked like it was building towards something and then just seemed should have been something of,
0: big but they yeah. just kind of squashed it
1: the way they dealt with that though i would say it made it seem more real the fact that they were they were having to apologize for it they were quite shocked by it in a way i suppose gives a lot of heat to Jerry Lola for doing something that they would have to apologize for. But But then they they took him and
0: put him with Doink Doink the Clown. (laughs) yeah, And that's where all that heat went. They didn't put it on, you know, in a match with me, you know, we did a Monday Night Raw match where I won by count out and it set up his angle with Doink the Clown. That's all it was, you know? So we could have got a lot more mileage out of it, I think.
1: It's a shame that, yeah. I mean, the next big thing, I think I remember you for, when I was growing up, certainly was the Royal Rumble '96. When your program started with Triple H, Antonio Elmsley, as he was then, so that for me kind of came out. And it was it was even though the match was on the free for all, it was it was on the free bit. It wasn't on the main show. It put you at number thirty in the Royal Rumble match. So that was quite a surprise because that's quite a spot to have, and you weren't involved at the time in any sort of major. Angle or anything. So, you know, again, was there any sort of build up to that? Was that a last minute decision? Was there any sort of plans for something bigger to come of that?
0: After the Jerry, the King Lawler thing, they just kind of didn't do anything with me. They just put me off and uh, I was losing to any, you know, I lost mm. all the heels I lost to any new heels that came in. I was just doing jobs basically. Yeah. Um, and they weren't putting me on TV very often anymore either. And it was getting to the point where it, as 96 came along, my contract was up and I wasn't happy. And uh, I was, you know, I was just not happy. And yeah. uh, it ended up being a situation. It's funny because the point where I, to- I chose to take a stand, a new guy came in named the ringmaster. <laughs> and at the last I was, was he- going to
1: ask you about this actually. Yeah. Cause I've had, I've had, a comment lately about the at the,
0: yeah at the last minute they decided all right we'll put duke in there to do a job for you know his first job his first tv match but my my contract was up and uh, that was the moment that i decided you know what i'm i'm tired of this mm. uh and and uh brett hart was i was riding with brett and he kind of told me i should i should refuse to do it and um I went and talked to Bruce Pritchard and said, I'm, I'm just, I I don't know what you guys want me to do, but, uh, you know, it's obviously not going to do anything with me. And, um, he ran and talked to Vince. He came back and told me I didn't have to do it. And, um, that was, uh, I think what they did. Well, first of all, I went and talked to Steve and told him it's nothing personal. Mm. It has nothing to do with you. It's just they've been killing me. And of all the people in the world, he understood because WCW had killed yeah. him before he left. Yeah. And uh, we became good friends after that. But the office realized my contract was up, and uh, they figured, uh oh, we better give him something. Mm. So they gave me the angle with Triple H, right? Okay. And the free for all match, and the build up to the in your house match, mm. and um. There was a lot of talk about turning me heel during this time as well. And I said I wanted to change my appearance. And uh, that's where Jim Ross came up with the idea of having Triple H cut my hair off. Uh, And that way I could have a different look when I eventually turned heel. Of course, they never turned me heel. Um, But that was the angle. You know, I I cost him the number 30 spot, Triple H, the number 30 spot in the free-for-all match for the Royal Rumble. And he came back out on Superstars the next week and jumped me and cut my hair off, okay. and that set us up for the angle. And that was basically, I think, they were they were pacifying me to get me to resign the one year deal rollover. Right, because then after after Triple H, I um, I went right back to doing what I was doing before, losing to the new heels that came in. So yeah. you know,
1: you mentioned about turning potentially turning heel on that. I've heard a rumor. Was it was there ever any truth in you possibly becoming part of the million dollar? corporation around.
0: yeah um that's how it was presented to me uh they I, I think it may have been before steve came in and they were talking about making me like this uh, uh protege of the million dollar man they were just going to completely switch me from being a, a dirty poor old garbage man to a super rich uh you know like yeah. again the prodigy of the million dollar man and uh they even did a, a a magazine article that kind of hinted at, uh, DiBiase kind of scouting me yeah. and watching me. Uh, and they even did some stuff on TV where I started finding money in the garbage and, um,
1: then it just kind of died out. Mm.
0: Uh, they just didn't do it.
1: They, uh, they, they see, I, I, 95 to me is quite a seminal year. Like I say, it's when I really started to watch it regularly and keep up with everything. And I know 95, maybe 96 isn't held in much high regard with some fans because particularly wwf was very gimmick heavy but like you said i don't think they, they start they tease storylines and they seem to die out very very quickly it's very difficult as a fan to see sort of where they were going and why one week you're seeing some superstars been built up or something and then you're not seeing them again for a few weeks so um yeah confusing i would imagine for you, yeah,
0: and there was a lot of weird stuff going on. I mean, they were really trying hard to get Diesel over and mm. Shawn Michaels over and Razor Ramon over. Um, Razor, not so much. He was more on the IC belt uh, run. Yeah. But um, They were trying a lot of different things with Diesel and Shawn. And uh, it just seemed like every once in a while when something was started with somebody else, It kind of got squashed, and they were trying different things with these guys, you know. Yeah. Uh, They were really trying hard to get them over uh, as champions and all that stuff. I mean, at one point, Diesel was the champ. Sean was the IC champ. And they, together, were the tag team champs. I thought that was the most ridiculous freaking thing I'd ever seen.
1: It's like having the four win all over again. They just have I, everything. You know,
0: but it's two guys. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. <laughs> it leaves a whole roster of guys that mean nothing. Yeah. Um, but it was just weird to me. Yeah. Um, but that seemed to be what was going on at that time. Because business was down and they were really trying to find things that work. And you're exactly right. They weren't sticking with things for the no. long run. You know they
1: it, were just it, kind of... if, Again, from a fan's point of view, it was difficult to sort of stay on that channel when over on the other side, they were going through a tricky period at the end of 95, but then 96, they really started to put some stuff together. So, yeah, maybe you could see... Yeah, it was really interesting really...
0: when the when the Nitro started. Mm. <laughs> the first few weeks, uh, Bruce Pritchard came running in the locker room and telling us the, uh, the uh, ratings numbers how we were winning yeah. and it was like the first couple of weeks that nitro was on he'd say, we did this and they did that and then and then he just stopped showing up he didn't <laughs> come in anymore because obviously we were getting beat and yeah. uh that's when they started really beating us yeah so i think in some ways there was some i don't want to say they were panicking but they were just trying to figure stuff out and they yeah. weren't sticking with stuff very long
1: either so when <clears throat> when your run there came to an end um how did, how did life change for you? Did you did you have other stuff that you went out and did straight away or, or was it difficult to kind of sort of pick up from that?
0: When I left WWF, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I really didn't have anything. I was, you know, it's interesting because I had really kind of gotten heavy into taking painkillers. I got hurt during the run with Triple H. I hurt my back okay. in a match, a house show in, in a Alliance arena. I hurt my lower back and, you know, I was right in the middle of that, that feud, I wasn't going to stop working. I, that was the only pay-per-view I was going to get to be in. Yeah. And um, so I started taking painkillers. So by the time I was winding down, I was having interactions with Vince that were, I was just saying stupid crap. Like, you know, if you're not going to use me better than this, send me home and never thinking for a minute, they would call my bluff. But basically he sent Briscoe up to me one day at TV and said, Vince said, you can go ahead on home. And I just remember like, Uh, it's over and uh, I went home and you know up into that point with the drugs and everything there was some control because you had to be somewhere with the WWF you had to be on a schedule you had an itinerary you had to be in a certain town you had to get a rental car and a hotel and be at the show and train you had a schedule I went home I had no schedule and I was doing drugs and there was nothing I think I went I think I started bouncing in the bars again, because that was a, the only job that was kind of conducive to me being a drunk and a drug addict yeah. um, at the time. And, and that's kind of what I fell into. So, um, yeah, that's okay. what happened. And I slowly really started to just disappear from everything.
1: Yeah. So did, did you um, you carry on wrestling around about that time or did you sort of step away from it? <laughs>
0: Uh, I was doing some stuff with the local promotion that i worked for before. I went to work for events, the uh, Sunshine Wrestling Federation. Okay. They were doing some stuff. At one point, I bought a ring, which was stupid. I bought a ring, and I was training some people. Uh, at one point, we had MVP come through the school. Okay. I don't take any credit for training him, though. Uh, this guy, uh, Alex Gibson, trained him. Soulman Alex G trained him. But in my school, that's where he started um but i had a ring and i was going to train guys for this company but the drug use was so bad i couldn't even keep it together and they ended up firing me this little local promotion fired uh-huh. me um you know they were working with the tv stations so i was actually getting a salary but um yeah they ended up firing me so uh-huh. that's when things really went bad yeah. after that I, I just sold them the ring and i left and that's when i really disappeared
1: uh, so, so so it's Twenty odd years. I mean, yeah, twenty odd years after leaving the WWF and that. How how is life now? You sort of, you know, what what are you uh, what are you up to? What's your direction? And you know, do you do you miss it?
0: Uh, no, I don't miss the wrestling business. Um, now, you see, I I got clean first time in two thousand and three. I came, I moved up to Tennessee. My family moved me up here and put me in rehab, and uh, I got clean. And I kind of went back to getting my life together. I became a school teacher and, and things like that about 2009, I had a real serious foot injury and made the mistake of starting to take pills again. Uh, And everything fell apart again uh, and got really bad to the point where I was running around with people I shouldn't have and I got into legal trouble and I got busted and got two felonies on my record uh, for selling pills. And I lost the teaching career and things got really bad. And during that whole court process, as part of my plea deal, I took this very strict program called it's called drug court is what it's called. It's like really strict probation and drug treatment at the same time. Um, but the thing was, I was, I I was willing to do whatever it took. I was ready to change. So that wasn't, that wasn't difficult for me, but I went through that drug court program. Uh, and I got busted in 2013. I went through the program. I graduated in 2015. Um, I was on probation until November 21st of last year. I finished everything. And when I finished the drug court program, they asked me to work for them because I had done so well Uh, and, and they could tell I was taking it seriously. So now I work for the drug court program. Uh, I work with individuals that are trying to get clean and, uh, try to just change their lives and not continuously go in and out of jail and prison anymore. Um, uh, and that's what I do. And I'm, I'm happy where I'm at now. Uh, another thing that happened in 2013, about the same time I got busted, I lost my left foot because of the foot injury and I was doing drugs. I was doing drugs and not getting it fixed. It got infected and I had to have it amputated. So I don't have a left foot. I walk around on a prosthetic. Um, so that's been a challenge, but yeah. you see, all of these things are all of these things were steps in the path, yeah uh, that got me to where I am now. And yeah. now, I am very blessed to be able to help people going through the same things that I went through. Uh, I have a lot of lived experience and knowledge uh, about the process. yeah um, And I've even started a podcast called Road to Recovery, where we talk ab- about a lot of different recovery issues. Uh, drugs and alcohol, along with other addictions and other problems that people face. Um, so I'm doing a lot now in this field because it, it also helps me to stay clean and stay on yeah. my feet and not make the mistakes anymore. So I'm in a good place now. I'm happy. And, and you asked me if I missed the business. I don't miss the wrestling business because now I've had this this renewed uh, relationship with the wrestling fans. It's been Unreal. Uh, through social media they've started they started to get in touch with me a couple years ago and I've told stories and uh, like I said I do the podcast and I do a lot of live stuff and I interact with the fans and it's been a blast yeah and I'm just having fun with that part of it now interacting with the fans and I could care less really about the wrestling business I don't ever want to be involved I'm certainly not going to wrestle ever again um so you know you know I'm there was, there was a long period of time where I regretted the way I left the wrestling business, but now I don't. In fact, I've realized if I had stayed there and the Attitude Era came rolling in right after I left,
1: yeah,
0: and they stopped drug testing the way that they did when all those guys started dying,
1: yeah. I
0: probably would have been one of the dead guys, unfortunately. Yeah. So that's the way I look at it. I'm happy where I'm at now. It's been a that's blast, great. and I'm enjoying interacting with the fans again
1: and that 's and that 's really where I led to you know I, I just got in touch reached out with you know to you over your, your Facebook page, and I was so grateful when you responded you know i 'm so grateful for this chance to be able to talk to you you know um, like I say, I grew up watching you know yourself you were on you were on most weeks that I was watching when I was that age, I was really getting immersed in it so you know this is this is a real honor you know to to be able well, to talk I appreciate
0: to you it. saying that you know a lot of people are looking back with uh, fondly at those years now the mm. the new generation era the the golden era the post golden era the new generation era people yeah. are looking back fondly now and they're they are looking up a lot of the wrestlers of that era uh and it's just created this whole new scene of interaction with a lot of these wrestlers who kind of disappeared for a long time. You know, I call that the dark ages of wrestling. (laughs) There's a lot of us, we didn't make much headway in the business. We were here a little bit... a short time and then we were gone and yeah but you still got the stories
1: two... to tell you know that's what's good for for yeah you know, they seem to right? enjoy the
0: stories yeah and, uh, and i certainly pull no punches uh and yeah. a lot of the times i'm the one that looks stupid in my stories because <laughs> i did a lot of stupid stuff and i freely admit that
1: and it's okay but uh i'm having a lot of fun that's what makes the memories so i'm yeah. um, i um, wrapping up to the, to the to the sort of final bit i'm gonna have a little bit of fun here Um, As fans do, we like to do a little bit of fantasy booking. so I'll get you involved. Um, Thinking back to your original run, sort of 94 to 96, if you could book yourself into a WrestleMania back then with anyone that was around then, um, who would you have picked? What sort of match would it have been?
0: I begged Vince McMahon for quite a while to let me work a an angle with the hog farmer. Oh, okay. And I thought that would be a perfect fit. Um, we could have done, you know. He ended up having a hog pen match with Triple H, and then mm. then the the New Age Outlaws ended up having a dumpster match. Well, me and Hog, me and Henry Godwin could have had a dumpster match, hog pen match, all of the above, and uh, cool. we could have tore the house down. We wrestled mm. a few times, and it was amazing to work with him. Um, I think that would have been a real good fit. And then maybe we could have uh, ended up, I could have turned heel and we could have been a tag team, you know, before they brought Phineas in. Yeah, I could. We could have been a tag team, you know. Uh,
1: that would have been quite cool, I see. Yeah, yeah. No, well, that's, I,
0: what, that's what I would have thought of. That's what I, I would have
1: thought. With with your, um, sort of thinking back with your angle with Triple H, that's what I thought was quite believable, even in, in that era for that, is because your characters were polar opposites. You could actually see that there would be heat there so with you and henry godwin yeah you could see that there would be a a reason to get involved either side you know pairing up or against each other so yeah. i would have i would like to have seen that it's um yeah finally as well any uh, just a real broad one any memories from back then any like funny stories you know that you that stick with you these days you know backstage stuff
0: we just always had a blast uh Austin always says those were the wild West days. Uh, and it, in a lot of ways, that's true. Um, I just remember many a nights riding up and down the roads with Steve Austin in a crappy little rental Ford Taurus that we barely fit in with a case of beer and a cooler in the back seat, blasting music, listening to stuff like rage against the machine and other music. And, uh, just having a a blast talking about wrestling, coming up with crazy ideas. Um, That was fun. Um, You know, at one point me and Austin came up with an idea. We were going to start a faction of like skinheads. (laughs) He he was going to be the leader, but it wasn't going to be like a racist, like racist thing, but we just would happen to beat up certain groups of people and uh, you know, during that it was way ahead of its time and we actually took that to vince and he kind of looked at us like we were crazy (laughs) um but then later he came up with doa and the nation of domination and or and all that stuff but um that was our plan but yeah we would come up with stupid ideas like that and we had the dumbest jokes between us that we just constantly laughed about that no, no nobody else got um he used to leave stupid messages on my machine at home about how a freshwater catfish is a great pet to have. I was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? (laughs) But it was just crazy. But we had fun. You know, it was all in good fun. And guys like Owen Hart, man, was always a blast to be around. He always made it fun to work in that place, even when you were unhappy with your position. Guys like Owen Hart and Austin and people like that made it fun. You know, we always had fun. So those were the times that I remember most.
1: Brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for for sharing that. And I'll um, I'll open the floor to you for the last couple of minutes. So anything that you um that you're doing at the moment that you want to promote, or you know where people can keep up to date with with what you're doing, you know, feel free.
0: <clears throat> the big thing right now is my Facebook page. It's my it was my private Facebook page, but now it's open to the public. It's Mike Drosy. Um, that is where you pretty much find everything and i am currently doing a podcast on friday afternoons uh at 6 p.m eastern time called road to recovery i'm doing it with a guy named avi klein avi klein i call him the new godfather of podcasting because not only does he have my podcast road to recovery he also has a podcast with paul roma with del wilkes the patriot (laughs) With Ray Lloyd Glacier, with Bill Demott, Hugh Morris, and with Don Morocco, as well. I wow. say Paul Roma. Paul yes. Roma's in there too. Yeah, those are. He's got podcasts with all those guys. He's running podcasts almost every day of the week, and twice on Friday. Yeah. So, uh, and it's on all of our Facebook pages, and it's live. So, if you at 6 p.m. Eastern time, if you came to my Facebook page, you would see. Road to Recovery, the podcast being uh, streamed live. That is the big thing I'm doing right now. Um, Of course, everybody's got appearances lined up, but they all seem to be getting canceled Mm -hmm. still because of COVID. So uh, it's a hit or miss deal with any of these appearances I've been signed up for. Everything has been pushed all the way out to past uh, October at this point. We're hoping for some October stuff to come through, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mainly come check out the podcast, Road to Recovery.
1: There you go. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. I urge all the listeners to, uh, to reach out to that. I'll definitely be, be going back and checking out all of those as well. I d- didn't really see
0: all, all the old episodes. Just scroll down on my Facebook page and they're still sitting there. You can go watch them.
1: Cool. I got into Conrad Thompson's podcast and he's obviously got quite a few going on, but uh, I right think uh, RV Ar- Klein sounds like the one to follow then because all the, uh, all the ones, especially from the area that I like to talk about. So uh, yes. cool. Brilliant. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on. This has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. So, um, you know, all the best with everything. Thanks for coming on sharing your stories. You know, it's so good to, to hear that you're doing well you 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 know an inspiration what you've gone through what you're doing now so you know thank you so much for coming on
0: no problem i really appreciate you having me on your show it's been my pleasure thank you
1: no problem mate thanks again soon cheers mate